Chris, thanks for finding the time for me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's good to, good to speak with you. So how's Edinburgh treating you? Edinburgh is doing, uh, I, I, think, I think things are going well here so far. I've had one event this morning and I'll have another event to talk about my book, Door Came to Us, tomorrow. It's a nice place. First time, first time visiting here, but there are, uh, somewhat surprisingly, I, I, didn't, I, I, I didn't expect this, but a lot of Ukrainian flags around. Uh, flying over the top of, of uh, the castle here and several um, government-related buildings and um, some other some other ones. I've seen uh, a lot of blue and yellow. Yeah, I, I read your book, and um, it's got a picture of a blue and yellow flag right on the cover. There's another another blue and uh, another spot of blue and yellow. I I couldn't put it down. I thought it was fantastic, um, and I. One of the things that struck me, I was kind of messaging you about this earlier, was about halfway through, I realized it sort of dawned on me there was this transformation that had occurred in not only in you, but in the country that you were covering. Because you start off as this guy who's brand new to a place that you didn't exactly intend to go to. Um, you're just trying to fit in and then cut to a few years later and you're this war hardened correspondent covering this story that's breaking and is world news. And my, the thing that thought that came to me was the war came to us is such an appropriate title because of the changes that not only you went through, but the people around you went through when you were writing this book and you were putting down the information about the time you spent in Ukraine at the beginning, did you recognize that guy? That's a good question. Well, I'm, first, I'm, I'm really pleased to hear that you enjoyed the book and that you got all of this out of it. Um, you know, I, I, it was certainly a deeply personal um, project. And I think, you know, the guy who is at the beginning of the book is in many ways a very different uh, guy who you see running around eastern Ukraine and, and the front lines in the latter part of the book. I certainly didn't expect to end up in Ukraine when I signed up for the Peace Corps, uh, what, 14 years ago now. I had, yes, hoped to go uh, elsewhere, to, to Africa, and, and I guess by fortunate accident ended up in Ukraine, and of all places, in Bakhmut, uh, formerly known as Artyomovsk at the time, when I arrived there in 2010. And I was this very um, you know, wide-eyed, um, interested, but very naive um, traveler and volunteer when when i arrived i did not know the language i didn't know the culture i i had no connection to ukraine let alone eastern europe and had not done much traveling outside of the u.s it was all a very very new experience to me um and and and, you know in the book you know the yes part of it is my my journey through ukraine which i felt was um, relevant because I, you know, for, for me, I learned about the country, you know, over many years of, of interviewing people, of, of befriending people, of getting to know the place in the country. And I sort of wanted the reader to also be on that journey with me. And I thought that would be the best way to explain, you know, how the guy you meet, uh, that naive American guy who shows up at the beginning of the book became uh, the reporter who's 
talking with the president of the country and the first lady and um, you know military commanders in the latter part of the book. And, and so I was conscious of that when I put the book together. But those first chapters, they are where I speak a lot about the, the more personal elements and arriving in the country. And, uh, and this is all pre-war time. Some of those were written as far back as 10, 11 years ago, uh, when, when I had actually thought about uh, writing a book of my experiences even before the war. And, and I sort of thought about it in this way of you know, perhaps writing a sort of uh, travelogue history, you know, uh, American abroad type, type way. Of course, I'm glad that I didn't at the time because it became much more interesting as I had access to the leadership of the country. I witnessed the revolution of dignity followed by Russia's first invasion and now this full scale invasion. Um, so I, I guess you know to to come back to your to your question, I I can recognize the person who is in the beginning of the book, and I I certainly recognize myself now. Writing it out was really interesting in understanding how far I've come over the over the many years, and 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 not only that, but uh, it, it it did remind me of. As the title says, and, and you reiterated, the war came to us. And on that, I'll just I'll, I'll, I'll add one small thing in that, that us being this broad collective us. Obviously, it's Ukrainians who are being targeted by, by Russia and, and, and sacrificing their lives every day, being killed by Russian forces. Um, you know, they, they very much are at the, uh, you know, the, the end of, 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 of Russia's spear here, but there is a broader collective us, and that is also Russia's war, you know, against the West. And um, you know, there's there's also the fact that I had these relationships and friendships with people, and so the us is is also those people who I shared something with, and and so that's that's how the title came about. Yeah, I got the impression when I was reading it that. You must have taken a lot of notes while these events were still fresh because of how much detail, in fact, is in this book. I, sometimes when I read part of the passages or some of these passages, I, I visualize it in my mind because of how descriptive you were. And also going back to sort of the, what you were talking about as far as the transformation goes, to me it sort of happened both, this may sound strange, it happened both gradually and all at once, because of how many things were happening so quickly, including the revolution of dignity and then the invasion of Crimea and now the war in all of Ukraine. Um, the, uh, I've, I've heard you describe, and you touched on this a little bit already, I've heard you describe this war in terms of good versus evil um, in other interviews. And, and you were talking about how, you know, the war came to us is also an appropriate title because how of how this war is a, is a war um, of Russia against the West. How would you respond to someone, because you were on the ground, you saw these events happen live. How would you respond to someone who in the West might say something like, why are we picking sides between two countries that were both corrupt and they're having a territorial dispute? 
Sure. Well, I mean, Russia and Ukraine might might be both countries with corruption, but one is much more deeply deeply corrupt than the other, and that is that is Russia. Um, corruption exists in other countries. It exists in my country, in the United States. Uh, you know, Ukraine is it should should not be a country that is thought of as the corrupt country. Uh, in fact, there have been several reforms over the years to to stamp out uh, corruption uh, within the military, within the government. Um, you know as well as I do, there have been uh, you know you know under both um, Poroshenko and Zelensky uh, several measures taken uh, to to try to uh, uh, lessen the influence of of corrupt officials and, and oligarchs. And I think there's still a long way to go, but. Uh, you know, some progress has been made. Now, what what would I what would I say? I mean, if this is in many ways a war of, of good versus evil. I think in a a much greater way than in many uh, other recent wars of the last um, few decades. Um, the evil, obviously, being Russia, and I, I've I've seen uh, and and you've seen and you've read certainly, you know, what that evil is and these atrocities that Russians have carried out. But I think what's really important is is to understand that if Russia isn't stopped, then it will keep going. If, if not far beyond Ukraine's borders, it's not going to stop until the country is completely subjugated um, and brought under uh, Russia's control. And you know, it's going, that is going to have a huge impact. And there's already been a huge impact on global security, European security. Um, you know, we've seen um, the, the, the changes and the decisions made by Western leaders in response to Russia's war. And I think the future of our institutions that we hold dear and near that have governed the post-war era um, are, are hugely impacted by this war. And we, the we being the, the collective West, needs to understand this and invest in the idea of strengthening these institutions, including NATO. I do think that Ukraine's future belongs in the European Union and NATO, and I know that it might not get to those places very quickly, but, you know, providing a pathway, a clear pathway, and hopefully a clearer timeline, especially on on the European Union and uh, you know in, in the in the near future, or sorry, NATO in in the in the future, um, can work as a deterrent, um, and and also something that I found that that resonates uh, with with me as, as as an outsider and an American in particular, being in Ukraine, and when I speak with my compatriots in the United States, is that the war that Ukraine is fighting is one of independence and freedom. They are fighting for the very things that our nation was founded on and and these are ideals that are worth supporting and i think that i i have found personally that when i communicate with people of all um uh political uh beliefs uh in the united states that that resonates and so i think that is also um you know fundamentally if, if nothing else that is the thing really to understand that um you know we it's time that we uh we, we put our money where our mouth is and our support where 
you know, where, where our mouth is, right? And, and continue to, to back Ukraine so that it can win this war and to not be afraid of Ukraine winning this war. Um, you know, that uh, Russia's, Russia's future is likely to look very different and that it, there might be uh, further chaos in Russia in the future. And that is something that we need to plan for in the West, but not to be fearful of. Yeah, if not for Ukraine's future, then our own safety and our own security. Absolutely. So when the Peace Corps sent you to Ukraine, um, you didn't know the language. You mentioned earlier you were talking about, you know, as an American, as an outsider. But you, you're not exactly an outsider anymore because you've spent so much time in the Donbass. You've learned the language. You know so many people. You know the landscape. How important or essential do you think it is for a journalist, a Western journalist, any journalist covering what's going on in Ukraine to be able to communicate in the language that people understand there? I think it's really important. And I say this as somebody who you know, learned Russian when they arrived in the country and as somebody who is not a fluent Russian speaker still. Languages are really difficult for me. And so it has been now more than 13 years of, of living and reporting in the country for me to to be able to speak at the level that I, I speak Russian at, but but I'm still not fluent, and and that does present challenges at times. But I've always managed to find a way to communicate. Um, and many many times the conversations are me speaking English to someone who is a Russian or a Ukrainian speaker who understands English but isn't comfortable speaking it back. And we'll have a a conversation with one person in in English and the other person speaking Russian or Ukrainian, and we find a way uh, to communicate. Um, There are obviously times when I'm sitting down with the head of state, for example, and I don't want anything to be missed, and I will take an interpreter or a translator with me to ensure that uh, I'm able to communicate. Um, so I think, you know, having a grasp of uh, the language or one of the languages in any country that you're reporting in is really key to understanding it. But the other things uh, that, I, that I would also say are, are just as important are um, having an open mind, uh, you know, not, not going into to, uh, a, new, a new job or um, an experience or an event, whatever it might be, or a new place, if that's your assignment, with a, with any preconceived notions. I didn't have any arriving in Ukraine, and I think that benefited me. I Everything was new, everything was interesting. I sort of set this rule for myself to always say yes. So just about every invite that I received from Ukrainians when I arrived in country and for the duration of my Peace Corps service, which was 27 months, I almost always said yes to, and that got me into some a couple of sticky situations, but mostly got me into homes, kitchens, um, weddings, birthday parties, where I really learned the culture and the people and uh, regional identities, uh, you know, so many things. And, and then there's the last thing, which I think is time spent. Uh, that has benefited me greatly just by being there for such a long period of time and really investing in uh, the country and the place and my work there I've gotten to know so many people I've seen now you know three presidencies in Ukraine 
obviously, as the book points out, I was on Maidan during the Revolution of Dignity. I went down to Crimea during Russia's annexation. I immediately went back to eastern Ukraine when the first invasion began. Uh, I was there for the years in between that invasion and 2022, uh, which also provided me you know, the ability to know how we got to this point, all of the context in between, how Zelensky became president, what kind of person he is, and to really be able to look at events um, you know, with, with all of that in mind, which I think it, you know, shows in my reporting versus, let's say, someone who doesn't have those experiences and is just now, you know, getting up, trying to get up to speed um, on on events and a country that is extremely complex. Ukraine is not a simple place. There are a lot of complexities, and you really uh, understand them when you spend time there. Yeah, I kind of piggybacking off the thing you said about always saying yes it it strikes me that that is the reason maybe why this book is so informative and has so much information in it because at risk to your life you talk to everybody on every side um you got right in the middle of conversations that were going on or or witnessing things that were going on that um were you know were dangerous and yet you you without sort of almost seemingly without judgment just wanted to get the story out of everybody you talked to in fact you have a a a tattoo on your is it on your arm this is right the truth (laughs) yeah 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 it's a tattoo on my left on my left left forearm a gift a gift a birthday gift from a friend from some years back what what is that you know you got it a few years ago i know in the book you mentioned why you got it uh, do you still look at it do you still kind of contemplate that that phrase even write the truth and and what it means to this project and the rest of your work i do yeah yeah of course there's the you know the literal meaning write the truth which is you know what all journalists uh do or should do and and you know what i strive to do is to understand you know whatever it is or whoever it is i am writing about and to write truthfully about that person or, or, or an event. Um, but, but all, but, but it also reminds me of this, you know, early period when Russia's first invasion, uh, happened in 2014, when both the Ukrainian side and the Russian side, uh, were, um, you know, wanting, they they were skeptical of journalists and, and what our goals were and the idea of, of, of journalism and, and, and the task of journalists uh, still back then was seen through the Soviet or post-Soviet lens where journalists are sort of servants of the state. And, you know, the reason that that I got this tattoo is because <laughs> on um, not even a daily, but almost an hourly basis, because I was, I was interviewing and speaking with so many people involved in the, in the war, um, Ukrainian soldiers defending their land, Russian soldiers and their proxies um, invading it and occupying these territories and taking over government buildings. I heard, you know, almost hourly, multiple times a day, write the truth, write the truth, and it just got stuck in my head. And of course, what the Ukrainians meant was 
oftentimes, you know, write our truth, um, you know, support us, write our truth. The Russians were saying, write our truth, meaning, um, you know, regurgitate Russian propaganda. Um, and, and, you know, so everybody had their own version of the truth. And you'll remember how powerful Russian propaganda was in the early days and the Russian invasion with soldiers uh, without insignia, muddying the waters and make it difficult for Western media that was not fully prepared um, for a conflict of, of, of this type um, with its complexities to immediately understand how uh, this invading force should be described and us fumbling around for a long time to come up with the, the language for that. And um, you know, st- many Ukrainians, rightfully so, not being fully happy about some of those terms and it was this really messy situation, and 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 I and my my journalist colleagues were also searching around for the truth because that was our job. And so this just it, the this phrase resonated with me um, because it was a struggle, and it was being told to us at every checkpoint that we passed through, and sometimes we would pass through a dozen or more every day to you know in, in the course of our reporting. And so it became um, sort of a mantra, also a bit of an inside joke, and something that for years um, I could not get out of my head. And hence the tattoo. This was my, my way of trying to extract it from my mind. You know, if you have a, if you have a song stuck in your head and, and you just can't get it out, uh, sometimes you need to you know, listen to it completely all the way through to hear it end in order to to extract it from your mind well this was my version of that i thought if i get it tattooed on me um it'll be there i can see it there uh and then be done with it and a friend of mine who uh, I, I often get tattooed with uh said that he would like to to uh, get me a tattoo or, or or for us to go get tattoos for my birthday and and um uh, I had a couple of ideas, but I wasn't too too hot on them. And then uh, at the very last moment, I thought, you know what? I, I think it's time that I that I go ahead and, and, and get this. And uh, now it exists uh, on my on my arm. And I haven't had uh, I haven't had it stuck in my head since. So yeah, I think it worked. And I think it exists in this book too. Um, I I highly recommend this to everybody. Uh, if you're interested in U- in Ukraine, what's going on in Ukraine, and more context and, and more detail and a real in-depth explanation from, uh, you know, the, the basically the grassroots perspective or the ground perspective. Uh, the War Came to Us by Christopher Miller, available in all bookshops. There's an audio version on Audible. Um, th- is there an e-book? There is, yeah. There's a Kindle version available online as well. Ebook and, uh, of course, the, the physical book. Highly recommend. I think I'm going to come back to this one and let it sink in for a while and then reread it. It was, it was, it was that good, I thought. So uh, it's very kind of you. Thank Christopher, you. thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. I really appreciate it. Of course, of course. Yeah, happy to do it and uh, appreciate the questions. You asked some that I hadn't been asked before. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Thank you.